Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be doing a teaching series called Summer Shorts. Uh, we're doing that because we're going to be looking at some shorter books in the Bible. And so we're kind of just taking an approach of saying there's some shorter books, but they have a big message. There's a big punch that comes with them. And today we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk uh, or Habakkuk, depending on how you want to say that. Uh, but if you have never read that before, it's okay. I'm going to help you find out how to get there. If you don't know in your Bibles how to get to it, you might be familiar with the story of Jonah. So go to the book of Jonah and turn right. You're going to go Jonah, Nahum, uh, let's see, I messed that up. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and then Habakkuk. Uh, on my Bible, it's page 936. So if that helps you at all, you can get there. Probably doesn't. But, uh, but anyway, that's where we're going to be today. And we'd love for you to, uh, to jump in. And if you've never read through Habakkuk before, that's all right. I've never preached through Habakkuk before. So we're all in the same boat on some level. All right. Um, we are taking an approach at this because when we think about our culture and just how life goes, I wonder if the question might ring true for you that does for me. Have you ever raised a complaint to God before where you've just had something on your heart, something on your mind, and you felt like, man, I have just, something is not right in the world and I'm going to complain to God about this. Uh, probably you haven't because you're way more spiritual than I am and you would never do that, right? You'd never be like, I'm going to complain to God about this. Or somebody along the way told you, you're not allowed to complain to God. Just take whatever he gives you and deal with it. No complaining. Uh, maybe that's your background and your approach. But the truth is, is that God can handle our complaints. And when we see Habakkuk and what we're going to find from him is that when it comes to our personal lives, there are things that just don't go right in the world. And that if we truly believe that God is the God of the universe, then there may be times, and there probably will be times, that you're going to come and raise your complaint to him because who other higher being is there to complain to, right? And so you're going, I have some complaints, I have some issues in my own personal life just in the last couple of weeks. I've been struggling internally and just going, God, I don't like that this is happening. God, I don't like where things are here. God, I don't like what I see in the world. I don't like what I see in my own life. And so why do you let these things happen? Where are you in the middle of all of this? And that's the way that we're going to see Habakkuk interact with God in this passage this morning. Because in, in our lives and in times, we recognize our world is not right. That there is brokenness here. That there is injustice. That there is violence. That there are oppressions. That there are all kinds of terrible things that we see happening in our world. And when we view those things, it makes sense for us to turn to God and go, why aren't you doing something about it? Where are you in the middle of this? Why do you allow that to happen? Why don't you step in and change that? God, where are you? And so we may ask those questions because it seems like God isn't doing anything about the issues that we see in life. And so for us this morning, Habakkuk was a, a prophet in the 7th century BC before Jesus came onto the scene. Habakkuk is a prophet. And, and interestingly, most of the time when we read the prophets in Scripture, God comes to one of his prophets and says, hey, I'm choosing you to be a mouthpiece for me to go to my people or to go to a nation, and I want you to deliver this message on my behalf to them. Habakkuk is not like that. Habakkuk kind of flips the table, and instead of God coming to him and saying, I've got some things I want you to take out to my people, Habakkuk is coming and it's bringing his complaints and potentially even the complaints of the people of Israel, and he's bringing those to God and going, hey, God, I got some things I want to talk to you about. So where are you? And what are you doing? 
and what's happening all around us that we see. And so in this instance, Habakkuk seems to be writing on behalf of the people with questions that he's bringing up to God. And the topic of his complaints is the violence and the injustice that he sees all around him. And so that's the backdrop. And when you think about this, for Habakkuk's life, we don't know exactly when Habakkuk lived as far as the birth and death of Habakkuk, but we think that he lived and his life spanned the time of King Josiah, who brought reforms to Israel, who brought temple worship back to play in Israel, who revival came through the the leadership of King Josiah. And Habakkuk had lived through that time. But then on the back end of Josiah's life, after Josiah died, evil kings came back to power in Israel. And there was violence and there was injustice and there was oppression and there was idol worship and there was empire building that was taking place in a way that didn't honor God. And so Habakkuk is living through the revival of the people and then the downfall of the people again. And as he's living in that era of time, he starts to write to God because as he sees the wickedness that's happening all around him, he cries out to God asking why God doesn't intervene. So let's pick up there and let's see what the text has to say. We're going to start out in Habakkuk 1 verses 1 through 4. And here's what it says. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and there's conflict that abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Man, have you ever asked a similar question to God? Where you've just been like, God, why? If you're so good and so powerful, why do you let violence, why do you let injustice, why do you let oppression take place? Why is there corruption that abounds? David was pretty famous about asking those kinds of questions in the Psalms. You would see him write that consistently, and he would say things like, why do you let the wicked succeed, right? That's a common refrain throughout the Psalms. But injustice isn't a new thing in our world. It's existed in every generation. It's existed in every nation. It's existed basically in every life, right? Like all of us could say, I've seen injustice, I've experienced injustice, I've had injustice in my life, I've dealt with oppression, I've seen violence, I've been a part of a culture, a part of a generation that is just away from God and all these terrible things are taking place. So why does God allow that to happen? There's a natural inclination for us when these things happen again to say, God, you're the highest power that we know and so we're gonna bring our complaint to you. Who else are we gonna go to and complain? And so when we see these things, we go, man, God is in the middle of all these things, but why do the wicked succeed? And the question that he asks is, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And here's what we think we want. All right, we think we want this. We want God to immediately bring retribution for evil acts. God, there's injustice. Do something now. Burn them, right? Like scald them. God, I want swift punishment for everyone who harms others or takes advantage of others, abusing their power and position. We think we want that. In a few minutes, I'm going to tell you why you don't really want that, but you think you do. But we look at things and we go, man, when I see all the evil around me, when I see the atrocities, when I see the oppression, when I see the injustice, when I see all the evil and the wrong that's being done, I want God just to move in right now and bring swift punishment and bring what they deserve and they should get their just desserts, right? And so that's how we think. 
But here's God's response when he comes to Habakkuk. He's listening to this complaint, and then God's going to respond back. And in verse 5, he says, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something new in your days that you would not believe, even if I were to tell you. Now, we're going to stop right there for just a second, because I've heard pastors who that's where they stop often. And this is the cool place for them because then they're able to go, man, God is doing something new. He's going to do something incredible. It's going to be awesome. Church, there's going to be revival this coming. God's going to raise up these new things and it's going to be incredible. And he's going to tell us, even if I were to tell you what was going on, you wouldn't even believe it. It's going to be so great. And you're just going to experience the blessings of God and the power of God and the promises of God. And it's going to be awesome, right? And if you stop at verse five, that's where you could get to. But I want you to go to verse six. Because here's what God says. If I were even to tell you this new thing that I'm about to do, you wouldn't believe it. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Habakkuk raises this complaint to God. Why do you let violence? Why do you let corruption? Why do you let injustice happen? Why do you let all these terrible things happen? And God goes, you think there's terrible things that are happening? Let me tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to raise up Babylon and they are going to come crashing through here. And you think you've seen violence? You haven't seen violence. You think you've seen destruction? You haven't seen destruction. You think you've seen corruption? You haven't seen corruption yet. I'm about to raise up a nation to come against you who's going to do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And it's almost like God looking at Habakkuk and going, I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? And how many times might we in our lives want God to move in a certain way and when we cry out to him or we complain to him or we talk about him with our our deepest needs and he goes, hey, listen, it's not going to get better immediately. And in fact, I'm going to let some things happen that you're going to look at and go, what in the world? Why? Why, God, would you allow that? Why would you do that? In fact, that's where Habakkuk is going to get to in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want you to read verses 7 through 11 with me in case you're wondering if God is just kind of unfamiliar with Babylon and doesn't really know what he's about to unleash on the Israelites and the the world. Here's God's response. He goes, here, I know who these people are. They are a feared and a dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and they gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past them like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. And so God says, hey, look, I know this war machine that I'm about to unleash against you. This is at the rise of the Babylonian Empire. They're not quite who we know Babylon to be yet, but they're getting there. And they are on the move, and they are taking over territory and country and nation. And God goes, I know exactly what I'm doing to this. And so when Habakkuk hears that, it leads him not to go, oh my gosh, God, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Like, maybe if this is my fault, like, I'm sorry. He doubles down. And he's going to go, well, then I've got another complaint. And so then Habakkuk's going to go in, chapter 1, verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You're my rock. You've ordered them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. 
why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them with their hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and he enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will see, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to be given to this complaint. Right? And so Habakkuk recognizes what God's saying. Hey, I'm going to bring judgment against my people. They have fallen away from me. They've gone and turned their back to me. They have started worshiping other idols. And so I am bringing Babylon against them. And Habakkuk again goes, I'm not just going to stop there. I'm going to double down. And I'm going to ask again, God, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why do you tolerate the wickedness that's coming? Why do you do this? Why would you allow these things to happen? He knows God's holy. He knows God is just. But he asks the question, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while all the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? And then at the end of his complaint, Habakkuk says, I'm going to dig my feet in. The NIV says that I'm going to stand at my watch. Some translations will say I'm going to stand on the watchtower and I'm going to wait. He says, I'm going to stand right here on this foundation, on this platform, on this watchtower, and I'm going to wait and see what God says in response to this complaint. You ever been there before? You're just like, I don't care. Okay, God, I'm not moving until I get an answer from you. That's dangerous. You can do that if you want to, but Habakkuk stands in that place. He goes, I'm going to stand here, and I'm not moving until I get an answer. Why are you sending more violence and more injustice our way? And so Habakkuk views the Babylonians as being wicked, He views Israel as being righteous. And he goes, you allow the wicked to swallow up the righteous. Why do you perform things in that way? And maybe you and I look at things that way too, and we go, man, when I think about the injustice in the world and the evil in the world and the sin in the world, it's them, they're bad, they're wicked, they're unrighteous, and I'm good, and I'm pure, and I'm holy, and I'm righteous, right? That tends to be the view that we look at the world very myopic, Everything about me is good. I surely couldn't be as wicked as them. God would never judge me like he would judge them. They're evil, they're wicked, they're impure. But I'm fine. And so the second time God's going to come and he's going to answer Habakkuk, he doesn't have to, but he graciously graciously replies to Habakkuk. And this is what God says in chapter 2, verses 2 and 5. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so the heralds may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest. Because he is greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. And so God tells Habakkuk, look, I'm going to do something, but it's going to be in the future. It's not going to be right now. You can stand and you can watch, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Write this down because I am going to handle the evil and the injustice in the world, but I'm pushing it off. I'm pushing it back for another time. And so when we see this, he says, you see the enemy, it's puffed up. He says, wickedness is built on pride, but he tells his people, hey, listen, I want you to live in faithfulness. Like the 
the wicked are built on pride, the people of God are supposed to be people of faithfulness. So no matter what you see happening in the world, Habakkuk, no matter what you see happening in the world, Christian, stand in faith that God is moving and that God knows what he's doing. And here's where God really starts to turn the story and make things even more uncomfortable if that were possible for Habakkuk to get more uncomfortable. God goes, I've got one more section here that I want to tell you about. This is a lengthy passage, but I want you to read it with me and we're going to try to make sense of it. He says this, Will not all who taunt them with ridicule and scorn, saying woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself worthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then... You will, uh, excuse me, then you will become their prey because you've plundered many nations. The peoples that you have left will plunder you for you have shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nets on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You've plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins until they're drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence that you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you for your destruction of animals will terrify you for you've shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in its own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with silver and gold. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so as we read Habakkuk, we've been talking about this idea of going, hey, Babylon is coming and Habakkuk is raising this complaint. There's violence, there's injustice, and now more is coming. And I think in, in Habakkuk's view, and as we read this, who does it sound like we're talking about? That God's going, hey, I'm not going to punish them yet, but there will come punishment. It still sounds like Babylon, right? It goes, all the injustice, all the evil, all the things that Babylon is doing, that's everything we just read. But at some point, I think Habakkuk looks at that and goes, hang on just a second. That also sounds a lot like us. This sounds a lot like Israel. The same things that Jeremiah in this time period and near this time period prophesy against Israel are said here by God. The same things that Isaiah points to in the life of Israel, he points to here. And so Habakkuk goes, I wanted you to get Babylon and destroy Babylon and they're worthy of needing to be taken out and they're worthy of punishment. But when I read this, God, and when you respond to me, I see what you're saying. You're pointing the finger at us too. And church, this is why when we think we want immediate retribution, immediate justice, immediate downfall of our enemies, that we really don't. Because if we're gonna judge them at that level, are we judging ourselves on that same standard? that we would look at things and go, am I just as wicked as they are? Am I just as unjust as they are? Am I just as guilty of sin as they are? And when we look at things, I think Habakkuk would say, this is not about them getting what they deserve. This is about God being gracious not to punish us 
in an exceeding way. And so if you're taking notes this morning, there's just a couple of things that I'm going to point out to you. Number one is this. We are always quick to point out the injustice of others without recognizing the injustice in our own lives. So when we say, well, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God just obliterate all the injustice in the world? Why does he stand silent? Why does he let these things happen? And the answer on some level is he will. He's just waiting for the right time. Now listen, I know what that sounds like. And if you're a skeptic in the room this morning, if you're somebody who's going, I don't believe this Christian stuff anyway, this is one of those places that you're just like, man, this is so lame. This is what you guys believe about God. Like he can do something, he's just choosing not to yet. But he will one day in the future, right? And I have a hard time with this sometimes. I'll be honest with you. You go, if God can, why doesn't he immediately? I mean, if I was so powerful and I was in in a position to stop all the injustice and all the evil in the world, wouldn't I want to do that immediately? So why doesn't God? And I know it sounds like a cop-out for us to go, be patient, he will. He'll handle it in his time. This is for something in the future. He's still reserving judgment for others in the future. And for people who don't believe in Christ and don't believe in the Bible and don't believe these things that we believe in, this is a place where people struggle so much to go, oh yeah, sure, your God at some point in the future is gonna do something about it. Why doesn't he just do it now? Well, in the New Testament, Peter gives us a helpful answer to that question and really gives us some perspective that I want us to look at this morning. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and who despise authority. And so Peter says, hey, listen, God knows how to rescue the the godly. He knows how to pull us out of the flames. He knows how to take care of us in the middle of our trials. It doesn't mean that he promises that he's never going to let anything bad happen to you, but he knows ultimately how to bring us to a place of deliverance. And he knows how to hold the unjust for a day of reckoning. Like God hasn't forgotten all the evil and all the atrocities and all the things that have happened in the world that are unjust and wicked. He is holding that for a day of his justice and his choosing. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, moving forward, he says this, above all, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they'll say this, where is this coming that he promised? I mean, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation, right? This is everybody's argument of going, nothing's changed. God isn't moving. He's not doing anything. All the world is just going on like it has forever. There's no God. He's not doing anything. The world is just going on and everything he's promised that he's going to do, he's not going to do it. So this is the voice of the scoffers. But they'll deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same way, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, for being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Have you ever wondered why people are so uh, against this global flood idea and the, the narrative of a flood? He's going, they deliberately forget that God used that as a form of judgment to bring destruction to the earth for the ungodliness and the wickedness that was there. Because they don't want to think that their ungodliness and wickedness and injustice and sin is going to be judged in a future time, just like it was in the days of Noah. And so he goes, there's going to be a day that comes when the Lord will move 
and he will bring about a destruction of the earth by fire. Verse 8 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God doesn't operate on our timetable. He waits patiently for justice and judgment. Where we feel like it's been thousands of years of injustice growing, it's like, hey, so to God, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. He stands outside of our time period and our timetable. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and you speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave to him. And so on the day of judgment, God will act in a way that will bring all injustice and all violence and all wickedness and all evil to an end. But why doesn't he just do that now? Because God is being patient. Because God is not a God of retribution and justice primarily. He's also a God of salvation and grace. And he's waiting patiently so that people who are bent against him now might turn to his grace. If he were just to take every single action when we sin against him, when anybody on earth creates an injustice or a a brokenness or brings sin into the world and he just obliterated them immediately, none of us would have a hope of knowing him. He's patient with us so that his grace might be extended. And if you're living in a place right now where you're not prepared to meet Jesus face to face, he's being patient with you. He's not overlooking your evil. He's not overlooking injustice. He's not overlooking these depraved things that are taking place in our world. But he is waiting patiently to offer salvation to people, to offer hope to people. But in the end, if that hope is rejected, if salvation from Jesus is rejected, then there will be judgment. And here's the last point for your outline. Where there's pain and violence and injustice and suffering, God is not indifferent or insensitive. He is not idle. He's working specific plans to restore the world. That's God's aim. That's his goal. That's what he's always been about, is he's bringing restoration to the world. And so for Habakkuk, when he sees these things, The last time we saw him, he's kind of dug in his heels. He says, I'm going to stand on my watchtower and wait for God to answer. Now God has answered. And here's Habakkuk's response. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk gets to a place where he says, you're right, God. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but you're right. To send the Babylonians against us for our injustice, for our evil, for our wickedness, for our greed, we deserve the punishment that's coming against us. But God, in your wrath, would you remember what? Mercy. God, let these things happen. I can't stop them. But would you be merciful? Would you not bring complete destruction? 
would you leave a remnant? In destruction, would you bring hope as well? Where there's wrath, will there also be mercy? And that's what he's looking for. And so for us as Christians, we throw ourselves on the mercy seat of Jesus every day. We receive mercy from God. And we say, I know I'm not worthy of this. I know I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your kindness. I deserve wrath. I deserve my sins being stamped out and me paying for it. But instead of you putting that on me, you put that on your son on the cross. So I can function in relationship with you through Jesus. And then Habakkuk's going to wrap up this book and he's going to give some of the most beautiful lyrics. This is basically a song or a poem. And he's going to give some of the most beautiful lyrics you're going to find in Scripture. And for some of us, you know this passage and you've held on to this at points and times in your life. And you said, this is for me and it's guided me through. For others, you're going to go, man, I need this right now in my life. And I need to know these things. I've not heard this before, but I need it and I need to hold on to it. And then for others of you, you're going to go, I'm glad I have this because there's probably going to be a day coming where I'm going to need to remember this and speak these words and sing these songs and reflect on this refrain. And so here's how Habakkuk wraps up, and we're going to have the band come back up. We're going to sing one last song together as we close out this morning. But here's how Habakkuk wraps this up. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. And so as Habakkuk writes this, he goes, listen, here's what I want you to know. With Babylon coming and with evil existing in the world and with injustice happening in the world and with oppression all over the place and with all the things that we face that are difficult and painful and sorrowful and hurtful, all those things, he says, I want you to know that if the olive trees don't produce any crop and if there's no cattle in the stalls and if there's no harvest in the fields and if everything goes to hell, I will still thank God and stand on him. He is my salvation. He is my hope. He is my joy. He gives me feet like the feet of a deer to run the mountains and to stand on a firm place. And so for us this morning, I don't know where you stand in some things, no matter what pain or hardship or injustice or violence or bullying or hate that you're faced with in life, you can rejoice in God. And if you're in that place where you're just going, God, why? Why do you let this happen? Why are you allowing evil to take place? Why is there injustice in the world? Why don't you do something about it? God's going, hey, be patient. I will. When the time is right, and the day comes, justice will fall. But in the meantime, I'm extending grace. I'm being patient because I love these people who are unjust and who oppress and who bring violence. I love them. And I'm extending hope to them because if I just acted in immediate justice, they would never have a chance to know me. And I want to extend my grace to them. That's why next week, the short book that we're going to look at with a big message is the book of Jonah. So come back and be ready to jump into another book that's going to offer us a glimpse at some people who are horrific 
And yet God says, but I love them. So go speak a message of hope to them. Bring my salvation. So church, I don't know where you stand today. What things you're facing. What questions you need to ask God. What challenges you have for him. But it's okay to bring your complaints before him. As long as you get to a point where you say, God, when you've spoken, and I love what he says at the end of chapter 2, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Like that's kind of God going, this is my mic drop moment here. You complained, I listened, you complained, I listened, but now here's the end of the deal. I'm sovereign. And when I stand over the earth, no matter what I decide, justice or mercy, let the earth be silent against my decisions. Because I'm Lord and you're not. We have a very small way of looking at the world through our lens. God sees everything and he knows what he's doing from beginning to end to bring his salvation and to bring his justice. So let's focus on his goodness and his sovereignty and his hope and his salvation that he offers to people. And let's be part of that answer of going, let's be grace-filled toward people that we hate. Let's be grace-filled toward people who hurt us. Let's be grace-filled toward people who bring violence and injustice. Why? Because it extends an invitation of God's love and redemptive salvation to them, that they might find hope like we found hope. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.